Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, March 25th, we're studying Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Jesus tells another parable to illustrate his coming on the last day. He compares the kingdom of heaven to ten virgins who go out to meet a bridegroom. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Clint Poppy. Pastor Poppy serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Uh, thanks for having me. It's always a great honor. As we get started this morning, Pastor Poppy, give us some context here. We're jumping into Matthew chapter 25. What do we need to know going in? Well, Matthew 25 is right smack dab in the middle of the last great discourse of Jesus uh, recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is oftentimes, when it's studied, divvied into these these great long discourses of Jesus. Uh, most people are probably most familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and uh, Matthew 24 and 25 is the last of these great discourses and oftentimes referred to as the uh, end of the world discourse. Jesus is teaching us eschatology, the study of the last things. He wants us to be ready each and every day, and this this parable is told here in uh, Matthew 25, 1 to 13 to teach us to be ready, to be ready for the last day, and what to expect on the last day. This is now, I mean, in the, the end of the previous chapter, there was a parable of sorts. It, it didn't say, as we'll hear in today's text, the kingdom of heaven is like or will be like, but it, you, you had a parable of sorts there with the what's the faithful servant doing, what's the wicked servant doing in, before the last day. Here we're going to see a parable, we'll see another parable in tomorrow's text. Why, why at this point does Jesus move toward teaching in parables? Well, Jesus taught in parables throughout his ministry, and uh, a few weeks ago, for the people that follow the one-year series, we had the parable of the sower, and right smack dab in the middle of that parable, uh, Matthew 13, Jesus uh, takes a little time out and uh, explains, um, let's see, Matthew 13, uh, beginning at verse 14, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Um, Jesus explains... This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor understand. Uh, in the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, Jesus is preaching continually in parables, and he does so marvelously in uh, Matthew 25, but he's teaching these parables to show them and to show us that, I guess to paraphrase uh, Luther, um, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. This is a Holy Spirit-engendered faith. Faith is a gift, and we can't reason it out. We can't use our uh, Star Trek, Dr. Spock logic and figure it out. The, uh, the Word of God is uh, like a locked book, for those who cannot and will not believe. And so we are to humble ourselves before the Word of God and let God speak, teach, break our hard hearts, create and sustain faith in us. And this parable at this particular time is uh, simply highlighting and enhancing everything else he's teaching with regard to the end of the world. Uh, you mentioned Matthew 24, 
before. This is where we get some of the, uh, I don't want to say harshest, but maybe some of the most clear teaching with regard to Antichrist coming into the world, false prophets coming into the world, and that um, we are easy prey to false teachers who are peddling their end-of-the-world kind of nonsense, and instead we should lift up our eyes and listen to God and His Word for the truth, the truth of all things, the truth of salvation, and here in this context, the truth about the end of the world. And, and a parable particularly would drive that point home. In the midst of all this false teaching, here comes the true teaching that, that must be revealed by the work of the Holy Spirit through that very word. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, these parables don't make any sense and even hide those from hide the truth from those who do not believe. But for those who do believe, and that's who Jesus is talking to at this moment, he's talking to his disciples, these parables are a part of the Holy Spirit's work to reveal these things, the truth of God's word, to strengthen that faith through these very parables. Pastor Poppy, one of the one of the other questions I've been asking throughout this series on the Gospel of Matthew, when we get to parables, and and this one's maybe not as, as big of a deal as some others, but has to do with, with what you would title this parable. And, and, and the reason I ask that question is because some parables, you, when you, you title a parable, you highlight something right away. So to use a, a common one, the parable of the prodigal son, the title brings to your mind the son who runs away and maybe makes you forget that there's another son in there and there's a father who's a really important character in that parable. So as you as you think about this parable, I know this is just kind of off the cuff here, but what do you what would you what would you title it? Do you like the parable of the ten virgins or would you call it something else? Well the the parable of the ten virgins uh could possibly lead people to uh all kinds of crazy thinking. Uh you know we have uh, we have the uh, Muslim faith that promises 72 virgins when you die. This this has nothing to do with that. And so for that reason, maybe the parable of the ten virgins is uh, a bit of a misnomer. Jesus is teaching us to be ready. And so the, uh, the parable of watchfulness, the uh, last verse in verse 13, Jesus says, watch therefore, for you need, know neither the day nor the hour. Um, you know, I think this speaks so well to all the people who are consumed with date setting and uh, has the rapture started? Oh, maybe the coronavirus is the beginning of the rapture. You know, all of these kind of things. And uh, maybe the parable of the certainty of uncertainty regarding the exact day that Jesus will return. Uh, that's a pretty cumbersome title, I realize, but uh, that might uh, more aptly describe what we're talking about here. <laughs> that that doesn't uh, that doesn't fit in the in the Bible heading. I think uh, the parable of C P H would never allow that for a title for the book. <laughs> sure, no, I, I appreciate that. And again, there's nothing wrong with with giving titles to these things as a way a shorthand way of talking about them. But just to to reflect a bit upon what is the main emphasis of this parable. I like the the parable of watchfulness as as the the real thrust of this, as we will see. So so let's go ahead and, and maybe take a look we at should the, uh, go maybe ahead, we but, should uh, look at the hymn. Uh, uh, you know, the parable of wake awake for night is flying. Maybe that would be the best way. <laughs> That's a good way. Yes, yes. I, as we read this text, anytime it, when we hear it in the church here, I, I cannot help but think of, of uh, Nikolai's hymn. It's such a, a wonderful hymn. And maybe we'll have a, an opportunity to reflect a bit on, on how he proclaims that text to us uh, in that hymn a bit later. Let's go ahead and, and read what, what Matthew has for us today. We're in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at the first verse. This is Jesus talking. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. 
Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That's our text for today, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. So, Pastor Poppy, in order to, to get through this parable, one of the things we, we need to talk about is that, that idea of, of virgins. You, you mentioned in today's society, maybe people are going to think of, of what happens in the teachings of Islam. What, what's going on here with, with ten virgins going out to meet a bridegroom? What's the background that we need to know to make sense of what's happening here? Well, I think if you, if you think of our, our modern understanding or concept of uh, wedding customs and wedding practices, you might, uh, you might think of the ten virgins as the bridesmaids in a, uh, in a contemporary kind of a wedding. The, um, the wedding customs uh, of that day are, are in some way similar, but also very, very different. The bridegroom would be gathering together at his house and assembling a bridal party. They would then travel to the bride's house and literally pick up the bride and uh, take the bride in procession back home to his house. That's where, uh, that's where the wedding ceremony would take place. That's where they would consummate the, we- the marriage, and then they would party. Uh, a seven-day, ten-day, two-week feast. And so it was a uh, uh, very, very big social event. It was uh, a great time for celebration. And the, the picture of pure joy with regard to the anticipation of two becoming one, the anticipation of the, the uh, bridegroom and the bride that are, are betrothed, but they haven't consummated the wedding yet. And so it's, it's an overarching picture of the fact that we, uh, by grace through faith, are a part of the kingdom of heaven, and yet um, we still live in fallen bodies, we live in a sin-filled world, and the ultimate consummation of that marriage will be when Christ comes again in power and might and glory and takes us to be with himself forever and ever. The bridegroom, Christ, and the bride, the church, united as one for all eternity. So in terms of how the parable begins then, just so the the bridegroom starts at his house with his groomsmen, maybe you would say, and he goes to the bride's house to pick up the bride and her brides. So that's where these these ten virgins are. They are with the bride, awaiting the bridegroom to come get them. Is that is that the correct cultural background? Did I follow you right? Yes, that's. Uh, and uh, I'm not an expert in uh, first century uh, Palestinian wedding customs or anything like that. Uh, in my uh, Lutheran study Bible on pages uh, 55 and 56, there's a, there's a great um, excursus there with regard to uh, wedding customs in the Bible, wedding customs in the Old Testament, New Testament, and uh, very, very helpful for anybody who's, who's interested in that. I think, uh, I think that describes it, and also that the bridegroom does not uh, have a particular time when he comes. If you've, if you've ever been in a uh, different culture, a culture apart from uh, Western civilization or a culture apart from America, we are rigidly set by the clock. Everything is precisely timed. Um, many other cultures are not like that. Uh, I had the opportunity to preach and teach in Haiti many times. And uh, church starts when everybody shows up. You have kind of a rough idea, but uh, they're not bound by time. And uh, if we can picture that as well, the bridegroom is coming. They just don't know when. And part of the problem is uh, the foolish virgins uh, make some some assumptions about when the bridegroom is going to come, and those assumptions lead them into some big trouble. Hmm. 
So, so take us in then to these these ten virgins. They're the ones who are waiting for the bridegroom's arrival. They don't know when he's going to come. And the the distinction that Jesus makes is there's five who are foolish, five who are wise. What's the difference between the foolish and the wise? Well, you know, uh, specifically in the text, the foolish don't have oil for their lamp, and the wise do. Uh, I think it's uh, very, very important to note that all ten of the uh, virgins fall asleep. This is this is not the uh, um, the wise ones uh, brought their energy drinks along and were able to stay awake. On everybody fell asleep, and when uh, when the bridegroom comes at midnight, uh, very unexpected time, um, you know you don't need your lamps during the daytime. But you certainly need your lamps at night. There's no street lamps at this point in time. It's dangerous to walk. It's dangerous to travel. And so the, the bridesmaids or the virgins uh, represent the church. And the foolish people, the foolish virgins, are those who are outward members of the church. They have their names on uh, the church directory, um, but they have no faith. Uh, ultimately, they're, they're hypocrites. The wise virgins are those that have oil in their lamps. They are prepared. They have faith as a gift from God. And uh, this, is, this is not a parable about uh, evangelism and sharing your oil or anything like this. this. This is a parable about when Jesus comes at the end, Will he find faith on the earth? And uh, he is highlighting that in this parable. Well, I appreciate how you, you brought out the difference between foolishness and wisdom in this parable is not the matter of falling asleep. They all fall asleep. And I, I think that that's particularly helpful when you consider that Jesus has used the language of staying awake earlier as as a way to that's what it means to be ready in verse 42 of the previous chapter he said stay awake for you do not know on what day your lord is coming so when he says stay awake he's he's not really talking about don't fall asleep but he's got a, a different idea in mind what what does that mean pastor Bobby, to stay awake as jesus refers to it well to to stay awake is to fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith and, uh, you know, as people who are at the same time saints and sinners, there are times when we uh, drift away uh, with our focus, our attention on Christ and His Word. And so those admonitions to stay awake are to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and uh, hear the Word of God, receive the sacraments, receive the gifts of God, so that that uh, faith is strong whether uh, you are physically awake or physically asleep. The staying awake is an admonition to faith. And what is it that creates faith? Word and sacrament, graciously, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. You, you keep talking about, about faith, Pastor Poppy, and in the context of the parable, then it went, are you using faith as, that's what Jesus means by the oil that makes you ready? I think... I think you can do that, and, you know, th these parables are difficult when Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what each one of the things mean. Uh, in the parable of the sower, he tells us. Um, and there are other parables where the disciples are, are clueless, and so they ask Jesus, and then Jesus, point by point, explains what he's talking about. He doesn't do that in this parable. And so I think the best way to, to look at the oil in the lamps is the oil in the lamps is the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit that God gives to us, uh, he, he uh, calls us by grace through faith. Uh, the Holy Spirit works through means, the means of grace, word and sacrament. And so the, the uh, gift of the Holy Spirit fed and kept full by word and sacrament, then produces light. And I think the light that is produced from the lamp is where we would look at God's gift of faith 
that flows from the Holy Spirit, uh, fed and engendered by word and sacrament, and then that faith lights the path and lights the way for uh, for the journey. I think that's probably the best way to look at these specifics in the text. Sure, and and sometimes it's it's hard to know exactly as you pointed out, especially when Jesus does not give us exactly the like he does with the parable of the sower or the the parable of the the wheat and the weeds there in Matthew 13 as well, when he doesn't give us that specific interpretation for us, sometimes it, it can be tricky to figure out what's there in the parable as something that, that Jesus wants to hold on, wants us to hold on to, and maybe what's there in the parable simply to move the story forward as as a story. So for example, one of one of the examples from what I heard you say earlier was that when when in uh oh, where is it verse nine where the wise say to the foolish there's not going to be enough oil for both of us so you need to go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves this is this is not saying anything about evangelism at all or or whether or not a christian should tell other people about jesus that's just a an element of the story that helps it to move forward to what jesus is getting at uh spot on and uh, there is a there is a point in time when we will not be able to evangelize. We will not be able to share the gospel with people who don't know and haven't heard. And that time is when Jesus comes back in his power and might and glory. You know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. And uh, Luther's small catechism teaches us that that happens the day we die or when Jesus comes back in his power and might and glory, whichever comes first. And at the time when someone dies, or at the time when some when Jesus comes back, when that happens, the uh, the time for sharing the good news about Jesus is over. Uh, the door is shut, literally. Right, right, yeah. An- another thing I would say that we uh, to go maybe on that same line of thinking, you know, that we shouldn't take from the, from this parable is that there's some sort of works righteousness involved, that the the five are wise because they did something ahead of time, the foolish are foolish because they didn't, and then notice again in verse 9 where, where it says that they tell the foolish ones, go to the dealers and buy for yourself. This isn't some sort of, of works righteousness, and, and maybe this is a bit repetitive, Pastor Poppy, but again, what, is it, what does it mean to be wise and to be prepared? Is it something you accomplish? Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is faith. Faith is a gift, and uh, our faith produces good works, but uh, the good works do not create or uh, enhance that faith in any way, shape, or form. So the the five virgins that are wise are wise simply because they believe the Word of God. And uh, this is not something that, that we do, we accomplish, we reason out, uh, we make a decision for any of that kind of uh, silliness that's out there. Faith is a gift, and uh, if you want to think about what those uh, wise virgins did, again, this would not be any kind of works righteousness, but they uh, fed their faith by hearing the Word of God and receiving the gifts of God, the exact same way that the people of God today feed their faith. When we despise the means of grace, when we stop hearing the Word of God, stop receiving the gifts of God, our faith is in danger of um, driving out the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, it is possible for Christians to lose their faith. God's Word is clear. And so the wisdom uh, there would be not only to hear and believe the Word of God, but to continue to hear and uh, feed that faith with God's gifts of Word and Sacrament. What about the foolishness, then? Paint, paint a picture of what the foolishness looks like for us. Well, the, the foolishness would be, um, you know, I've, I've heard the example many times of uh, someone that would... Uh, start out on a trip across the desert with a canteen and the canteen is empty and when they need the canteen uh they need a drink because of the heat and uh, the other extremities with the uh, with the desert travel uh, there's nothing there it's empty and 
that would be the same kind of foolishness of having a lamp with no oil in it. The uh, people today that would uh, fit into that category of the foolish virgins would be people who are paying lip service to the church. Um, I was I was baptized, but I don't attend church. Uh, oh, maybe Christmas and Easter if it's convenient for me. I don't receive the sacrament. Uh, maybe it's someone who is uh, a member of a church for social reasons, but uh, really doesn't believe what's going on. Um, there's a lot of this kind of foolishness that's going on in our world today. People who are hypocrites, people who have some kind of physical uh, uh connection to the church. Uh, I was born there. I was confirmed there. And, um, you know, there are, there are sadly many Lutherans that would uh, believe a uh, once baptized, always saved, once confirmed, always saved. My grandma was a member of the church, so I'm always saved. And that is the kind of foolishness that Jesus is warning about in this parable. It is a harsh warning indeed that Jesus gives. Here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 25, you're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Wednesday, March 25th, we're looking at Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, with Pastor Clint Poppy of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Pastor Poppy, prior to the break, we, we've been looking at the variety of details that are here in this parable concerning the difference between wisdom and foolishness, as it is expressed here. And, and as the parable progresses to, to the conclusion, the, the wise bridegrooms who have their oil are ready when the bridegroom comes. They go into the marriage feast. The door is shut. What, what is that a picture of there when they go in and the door is shut? Well, when, whenever I uh, have the opportunity to uh, look at this parable or on the last Sunday of the church here to preach this parable, and that's when it is uh, in our liturgical calendar, the last Sunday of the church year, when things are, are really uh, zeroed in on last time's eschatology kind of teaching. Every time I see that phrase, the door was shut, it uh, takes me back to, uh, I believe it's Genesis chapter 6, and uh, Noah and the ark. You know, most of us are uh, at least somewhat familiar with the uh, with the Noah story, and you know, it took Noah a hundred years, uh, along with his uh, sons, to uh, to build the ark. And uh, Noah was a faithful preacher, um, maybe with a hammer and uh, wooden nails, but he's a faithful preacher for a hundred years building this boat. And the animals were brought, and then the door was shut. And when the door is shut. Um, there's no entrance into the uh, no entrance into the uh, ark anymore. Um, the end is here. The time is right. And what what Jesus is teaching in this parable is there will be a time when the door is shut, either when we die or when Christ returns in power and might and glory. And when that time happens, uh, all other activities will cease, either for us individually or collectively as the world. And so the uh, one way to look at this is a, is a very frightening way. Uh, you know, end of the world is coming. The end of the world is coming. We hear a lot of these uh, doomsday secular preachers on, uh, on TV and other media, and yet Jesus is teaching that what is sheer terror for fools who do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is pure 
comfort for those whose lamps are full, who have trimmed their wicks and the light is burning, that light of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. And when the door is shut, those on the outside, uh, that's a terrible fate. But for those on the inside, it's not a 7 or a 10 or a 14-day wedding celebration, but it is a celebration of the bride, the faithful who cling to Jesus in faith, and the bridegroom, the lamb who was slain and now lives and reigns forever, Jesus, for all eternity. And that is the, the greatest peace and comfort that God can give us no matter what kind of circumstances we're dealing with individually or corporately. Yeah, that, that comfort is definitely something we don't want to miss in this parable, and indeed this, this whole discourse. It is, it's very easy to, to only see the warning, and, and we're not done talking about it, but we definitely want to make sure we see the comfort and receive that that Jesus is giving to us. As, as he tells the account... He does focus in on his response to those who are foolish. There's there's this very short conversation that happens in verse verses 11 and 12. These foolish virgins come and, and ask, "Lord, Lord, open to us." And he says, "I don't I don't know you." It sounds a lot like what he he talked about back in the Sermon on the Mount. Was it in chapter seven, towards the very end? This language was very similar. What what are we seeing here, Pastor Poppy? And, and again, uh, I'll take you back to Noah. You can only imagine the people who were banging on the outside of the ark, uh, wanting wanting in as the uh, rain came down and the floodwaters rose. Um, this is this is a picture of the last day, and Jesus teaches uh, the the love and the patience. God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He reaches out to the four corners of the earth with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and he, uh, we're told in Second uh, Peter that he's delaying his return. He's delaying judgment so that more would repent and more would hear the good news. But there is a time when the door is shut, and people who are in love with the world will no longer have that opportunity to repent and believe the good news. And Jesus is, is teaching us today, now is the day of your salvation. Now is the time to hear and believe the good news. Now is the time to uh, fill your lamp with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hear the Word of God. Believe the Word of God so you won't find yourself in this terrible predicament and miss out on the celebration for all eternity. The the fact that they say, Lord, Lord, open to us, I think highlights what you've been saying concerning those who would attach themselves to the Church outwardly. They would use the words of the Church, right? Throughout, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, it tends to be Jesus' disciples who call him Lord. The Pharisees, others, often use a different title for him, maybe rabbi or, or teacher. And so, so here we have people who are calling out the right name, but, but Jesus responds to them with some of the harshest words I could ever imagine hearing. Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And, and, and perhaps this is a question that, that we've asked ourselves previously. How, how do I know if I'm one of these people who's just mouthing the words? Pastor Poppy, how do you, how do you comfort someone in a situation like that? For, for those who are questioning or doubting, it's, it's, simply, it's simply a matter of a proper application of law and gospel, and Lutherans need to remember who we are with that, with that identity. If someone is in despair, if someone is in doubt, if someone is uh, beginning to feel hopeless or worried or anxious, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ full dose, uh, full strength. Uh, Jesus says uh, that I have come to pay for the sins of the whole world. Well, are you a part of the whole world? Then that means he paid for your sins. Uh, to hear the Word of God, to humble ourselves before the Word of God, to repent and to believe the good news. That, that gospel that is for, for all, because Christ died for all. 
On the flip side of that coin, people who are arrogant, people who are flippant, people who would say, well, you know, Jesus was a good teacher, but I'm not really sure he's God. Uh, Those folks need the law, full dose, full strength. They need that hammer of the law to, to crush their sinful and idolatrous hearts so that they can truly believe the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for, for those who are listening who may be doubting or uh, worried or wondering, um, this is not with regard to how many sins I've committed in the past or how often I've gone to church in the past or whatever. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day to repent. Today is the day to believe the good news and to be filled with that confidence that only the Holy Spirit can provide. One of the things that we've mentioned previously, Pastor Poppy, is the fact that this is this is an image of a wedding. And and you you talked about this at the beginning a little bit, but I think we can we can dig into it a little bit more. This is not the only time that God's word gives to us this image of the Lord as the bridegroom and his people as the bride. Where else in the scriptures do we see that image? What's What's being conveyed to us in that image of Christ, bridegroom, church, bride? Well, I think there, there are many places in the Scripture, and uh, some of the, the parables, there's parable of the wedding garment, which is teaching another aspect of what we've been talking about here. Uh, you can't get into the wedding unless you're wearing the right clothes. Oh, no, you know, I didn't rent my tux at the right store. No, nothing like that. Again, it's teaching us you can't get into the wedding banquet without that robe of righteousness that only God provides. This wedding picture is a, is a marvelous picture that God gives us throughout all of Scripture, all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 when God institutes holy marriage and he brings Adam and Eve together, the two become one, um, marriage before sin comes into the world. That's a a point that sometimes people fail to uh, grasp. But we have this picture of Christ as the bridegroom and the church believers as the bride. Perhaps nowhere in all of Scripture is this brought out in its fullness and flavor is uh, in the book of Song of Solomon. And uh, you know, if if you can uh, if you can wade through the thirteen hundred pages that uh, Dr. Mitchell has put together in the CPH commentary on Song of Solomon, it is, in my humble opinion, the best in a very very great lineup of uh, commentaries from Concordia Publishing House and. Uh, uh, I would just commend that book for people who are curious about uh, you know these extended wedding metaphors that God uses in Scripture. The joy and celebration that comes with the bride and the groom joined together intimately, as only a uh, bride and a groom can be together, this is the picture that God gives us of the joy of heaven, the joy of eternity with our bridegroom, Christ. I know sometimes macho men um, are almost offended by these uh, wedding pictures and wedding metaphors. Uh, macho men, oh, I don't want to be the bride, I want to be the man. You know, th- That's not the picture that's going on. It's talking about this intimate relationship between Christ and the church, between the bridegroom and the bride. And it is a picture of joy and intimacy, of perfectly knowing each other. This is what awaits us in the glories of heaven. We have it now by grace through faith, and yet we live in this sin-filled, sin-tainted world. And this is the hope, the peace, the comfort, the joy that God gives us in being connected intimately to him. So, so the, in this image, we're, we're seeing the joy that is ours in being in Christ, how, how closely connected we are to Christ. And, and I think another, another thing we could say, Pastor Poppy, and I think it's in this parable, is that the, the bridegroom goes to get 
his bride. This is the the bridegroom's action for the sake of his bride, that he is the one who is giving his very self to receive his bride for his own, and, and the total joy in that, too. I'm, I'm reminded of the uh, the hymn, uh, the church's one foundation, uh, the, the part where we sing, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride, with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. So in this picture of bridegroom and bride, not only the joy, but but the reason for the joy is that the bridegroom has done everything for the bride. He has given himself and she receives everything that's his with with joy. Yeah, that is that is a marvelous picture, and uh, I'm reminded of one of the uh, one of the options for our post communion collect in uh, the divine service as well. That has this bride bridegroom imagery connected to the Lord's Supper, a a foretaste of the feast to come. And uh, let's see, this is from Divine Service One. Gracious God, our heavenly Father. You have given us a foretaste of the feast to come in the holy supper of your son's body and blood. Keep us firm in the one true faith throughout the days of pilgrimage, that on the day of his coming, we may together with all your saints celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. That imagery is uh, highlighted as the people of God gather together, receiving the very body and blood of Jesus in and under bread and wine for Christians to eat and drink, that we are receiving this intimate gift, and it's as close as we're going to get to Jesus until the day when we see him face-to-face in heaven. That, that same image is, is picked up in the hymn that we referenced earlier, the, the hymn by Philip Nikolai, Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying. And I think, Pastor Poppy, you told me earlier you had your hymnal open. And, and if you I still do have do, my hymnal open. Wonderful, wonderful. I'd like to look at this hymn a little bit. I, I don't think we're going to have time to read everything and dig into every single thing that he says. Uh, but this image of the, the wedding hall, the, the meal that we share is a part of his hymn. And, and we've, we've talked a bit about how the warning is there in the parable, but there's comfort for us too. And I think Nikolai does a good job of, of bringing that comfort out and the joy in this hymn. So, so if you would, take us, take us into this hymn just, just briefly to see how it helps us to, to receive this parable with comfort and joy. The uh, the hymn starts out, you know, almost as a as a paraphrase of the uh, the verses that we've uh, looked at Matthew twenty five one to thirteen, and uh, you know the watchmen are crying. Uh, it's midnight. The voices um, are there, and uh, where are the virgins wise? And uh, the bridegroom comes awake. Your lamps with gladness take. Uh, Alleluia, can I say that during Lent? And then at the end of verse 1, with bridal care, yourselves prepare to meet the bridegroom who is near. I think that bridal care is what we're talking about with regard to hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God, hungering and thirsting for the means of grace, continuing to receive the word and the sacrament so that our lamps are full and the light is bright. I think that's a a great word picture of what we uh, as Christians are to be doing as we humbly wait for Christ to return. And then uh, in verse verse 2, she wakes... She rises from her gloom. And I think that's a good word picture there, too, in verse 2, because when we look around us in the world, all we see is doom and gloom. Uh, At this particular time, uh, turn on any of the cable news networks, and you'll get enough doom and gloom to last a lifetime. The gloom is being left behind. Why? For her Lord comes down all glorious. The strong in grace, in truth victorious. Her star is risen, her light is come. Now come, thou blessed one, Lord Jesus, God's own Son. Hail, Hosanna. We have that picture there of Christ's joyous entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and we know why he's going into Jerusalem, to bleed and die and pay for the sin of the world. We enter all the wedding hall, 
to eat the supper at thy call. All who by grace through faith claim Jesus as Lord are invited into the wedding hall, and this celebration is for all eternity. And then that that last uh, verse just highlights that eternal joy where the saints of God and angels are singing together with harp and cymbals, clearest tone. Uh, it just goes on and on with the choir immortal. And, uh, you know, there are many wonderful word pictures throughout the hymnal, and that is an amazing word picture with the choir immortal. What are they doing? We gather round thy radiant throne, no eye has seen the light, no ear has heard the might of thy glory. This is the anticipation that we have. We have not seen Christ in his full glory, but we will. Therefore will we eternally sing hymns of praise and joy to thee. That's what awaits us. That's the comfort. That's the peace. That's the joy. And that's the anticipation that all believers have now, knowing that the bridegroom is coming. I love the way that this hymn highlights that anticipation, that that the waiting that we are doing right now is not just a, a twiddling our thumbs, just sort of sitting back and watching kind of waiting, but it's an anticipation. It's it's a looking for, the, the image of the watchman throughout this hymn. This was their job, was to watch for the coming. And and that, just the, the utter joy then that, that comes through this hymn, when the bridegroom comes. Oh, I, I mean, I, I don't know what we will be singing when our Lord returns, Pastor Poppy, but it won't surprise me. If this hymn is uh, it won't be our God is an awesome God. Ooh, ooh, ooh! I'll tell you that. Um, but uh, the the watchmen here, um, these are the faithful pastors who preach God's word in season and out of season. Ezekiel three, Ezekiel thirty three talks about the faithful watchmen on the wall, and this is God's call and God's encouragement to pastors not to run after the latest fad, but to be faithful in their ministry, to discharge the duties that God has given to them, to take care, to shepherd the flock that has been entrusted to them. And I can't think of a, a more important encouragement when you know you open up the newspapers, you turn on the TV, you go to your favorite blog sites, and everybody is talking about doom and gloom and the end of the world. Uh, you know, six months ago, it was climate change was going to kill us. Now it's the pandemic is going to kill us. People nowadays are caught up in a study of end times. They are caught up in a culture of eschatology. They wouldn't explain it that way, but that's exactly what's going on. But cultural eschatology, cultural dabbling or studying of the end of the world or last times is eschatology without Jesus, eschatology without hope, eschatology without forgiveness and redemption. And this is the message that we have by grace through faith here in the church, a true teaching of the end of the world. And let's be honest, Tim, the end of the world is coming, and there is nothing that you or I can do about it. And that's okay because all things are in Christ's hands. And we are in those nail-scarred hands of Jesus, and he promises that nothing or no one can snatch us out. So now is the time to hear the word of God, to repent and believe the good news, not to feel sorry for ourselves or, or look down and gloomy, but to lift up our heads, because Christ is coming. And Christ is has never left us, because he is with us by the power of the Holy Spirit through word and sacrament. So, you know, earlier, Pastor Papa, you, you, you used, when we were talking about the title, you talked about the certainty of uncertainty. But, but as, as you're, you're talking here, sure, the, you don't know the day or the hour, Jesus says. So it, it's uncertain the day. But, but the certainty is still there in Christ, that, that this parable for those who are in Christ, in his nail-scarred hands, they need not fear as they watch. They need not 
be in despair as they look around them and, and everything seems to be falling apart. Rather, they can be certain in the midst of uncertainty because they have Christ. We've got about three minutes left here on The Morning, Pastor Poppy, to summarize things. Well, and I think now is a good time, you know, culturally, everybody's in kind of a panic. Uh, Everybody is anxious about the future. Am I going to get sick? Is someone I love going to get sick? Is the economy going to rebound? I looked at my 401k the other day, and now I'm never going to be able to retire. You know, all of this worry and all of this panic. How am I going to make it through the summer without baseball? How am I going to make it through the fall if we don't have college football? Tim, I think this is a good time for all of us, for all of us, to take a good spiritual inventory. False gods abound in our world. False gods abound in our heart. God loves us most. Listen carefully. God loves us most when he breaks our false idols. And it hurts It hurts when God lovingly, caringly breaks those false idols. And yet, at the same time, that is God's great love for us, destroying those things that get in the way of our true and faithful worship of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a a hymn that just came to my mind. It's uh, 797 in... uh, uh, LSB, praise the Almighty, and uh, in that uh, in that hymn, I can't tell you the exact verse off the top of off of my head, but in that hymn, he talks about or that hymn talks about breaking every idol in my heart, and that's exactly what I need. That's exactly what the world needs, and uh, God will use this in our world, in our hearts, to bring about faith, and salvation. That's his promise. He breaks those idols so that we would be, so that he would be alone, God, for us, the one that we can rely on above all else for everything that we need. And and though it hurts, it is a gracious act on his part. Pastor Clint Poppy is the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Pastor Poppy, thank you for your time today. Thank you. It's uh, it's always fun. Wake, awake, for night is flying. The end is coming. There is nothing that you and I can do to stop it. The Father has determined the day when Christ will return, and he will return on that day. For those who have not trusted in Christ, that is a day of terror, but not so for you and for me, dear brothers and sisters. It is a day of joy, one which we anticipate, one which we look for that we would see our Lord come all glorious, the one whose scarred hands remind us of his great love, his salvation that he has won for us. What joy will be ours on that day. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.